It's Paula Fernandez, Dominique Ribi, Nebun Daba, and we are the Limitless Conversations Podcast. Yeah. The podcast for woke girls that love, love dumb stuff. stuff. Got it. So we're very excited to welcome our special guest for today's episode. And we are chopping it up with a very special and beautiful guest, businesswoman, former athlete, trailblazer, Onida Cooper. Welcome. <laughs> Welcome to the pod. Oh, Thank you guys for having me. <laughs> you look absolutely beautiful. We need to take a pic actually yeah, and put we'll it up. Go, she looks amazing we'll from the page. earrings. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Thanks, she's amazing. Guys. When she walked in, I was like, she looks like she's TV ready. <laughs> yeah. But this is just a microphone. <laughs> <laughs> it adds, it makes your it voice does. sound better. You know, when yeah. you look yeah. good, you feel, feel good, good, you, you sound do good. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Of course, anytime. How are you? I'm great. Honestly, I wish I could say, oh, you know, it, I always ask people, like, how are you doing? They're like, oh, carrying on. And my first reaction or first comment's like, you know, that's the new norm. It's like, we're just keeping on. But honestly, I've been incredible, especially through this lockdown period. Yeah. I think it's just like allowed me to just take time out for myself because I like to think that I'm someone who really puts others before me uh-huh. and then self-care and taking care of you comes like you know not even like top five yeah. <laughs> it's like the last thing on the list so this time or this period has really forced me to be introspective and take time for myself so yeah. i'm really good yeah you found joy i did yeah we addressed that in the previous episode and i think just hearing you speak right now is just incredible because uh, Great is a nice answer to to hear. It's you so know. refreshing. It's so, so refreshing. refreshing. Immediately when you said that, like it made me smile. So keep doing that. I love that because it, you kind of exude that happiness. She does. See that. She you does. really have that energy, Anita. So thank you for bringing it in here. There's just so much that we obviously want to get to know about you because we've met in social scenes <laughs> and we've been Insta friends for a while now. And I look at your page and I'm just like, she's so busy. Mm. Like she's, and you're doing like all the right stuff. Like you're doing such amazing things. Like, wait, but now I just found out you're a former athlete. You're no longer an athlete. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, tell yeah, us about what yeah, happened. Yeah, no, I think people just like when I was younger, people are like, Oh, Onida the summer, you know? And I always used to shy away from that. And I hated that you know attachment attachment or I don't know like that title essentially because I always used to think I'm so much more than that you know however later on realized actually that's something that is great it's incredible you know because I've done so much especially for people of color in the sport and also women you know swimming is predominantly a white sport and you unfortunately become that token swimmer of color from a very young age and you see it you know you it's a very privileged sport. It's not yeah, a sport true. that everyone gets access to. However, we do have, we have a number of municipal pools. Some of our municipal pools are actually the best pools out there. Yep. Yet we have lack of, you know, qualified coaches or mm-hmm. people who really invest in the sport. It's one of the very few sports that are a life skill too, you yeah. know, because yeah. you need to know how to swim. swim. So yeah, I used to shy away from that title, but the older I got and the more... 
I did within the sport, I was like, actually, you know what, I'm going to take that. I'm going to take Onida this summer. And I mean, it's allowed me to travel the world. I represented South Africa for the first time when I was 12, you know, started going to a number of competitions from there and then uh, received a full scholarship to swim and study in the States tried to kind of keep my eligibility within swimming South Africa. So I would fly into some either Olympic trials, Commonwealth trials, and then fly back Impressive. and then, you know, like wow. finish up studies because you're a student athlete and um, student comes first, especially when you're on scholarship, like your GPA is um, looked at. And I mean, yeah. I used to think I was like a decent student. And then my first kind of semester of university, I mean, I was 18 in a completely new country so it's a new culture it's like a culture shock to to you know immerse as much as it's a first world country it's very different you know so and people different. are very different you know yeah. i used to i always say like people would be like hey how you doing i'd be like hey i'm good thanks and they're like down the road already. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay so you don't really care how I'm doing <laughs> you don't care how i'm doing this <laughs> but um yeah and then you know would keep that eligibility and then once i graduated i knew that i wanted to come back home I knew that there was a need for me to make change at home mm -hmm. in whatever way I thought. And I mean, I studied clinical psychology thinking that was the way in which I was going to help people. My dad's a clinical psychologist by profession and giving back and helping people has always been something that's instilled in myself and my siblings. So Beautiful. I thought psychology is the way and then came back, applied to do my master's in clinical psychology. And my dad was like, you know what, Anita, I hate to break it to you, but you're not going to get into your master's program. And I'll tell you why. You're young. Mm -hmm. You've done a lot within the field already in terms mm -hmm. of internships. Every holiday when I'd come back home, I'd either be a volunteer at the South African Depression and Anxiety Group. Mm -hmm. I was involved in a program that was a sexual violence prevention initiative mm -hmm. in the States. And he's like, you've done a lot in the field. You've also, your grades are really good. He's like, you have no upheavals that you faced. And I was like, that's rubbish. Because, you <laughs> know, dad is a straight why, shooter, first you of know, all. And I was like, shooter. how dare you? He's like, also, my dad's a really big figure within psychology in, in Africa, you right. know, the world, whatever. Right. So he was like, also, you've got me. And so the first question everywhere, Vitz, UJ, wherever I went, Pretoria, they were like, oh, so is your father Sats Cooper? Are you following in his footsteps? I was like, look, I don't think anyone would want to follow in those big footsteps. <laughs> Where my dad went left, I'm going right. And yeah. it was mm -hmm. like, oh, and you got a big mouth. <laughs> and you're opinionated, you know? And so every time, and they try, I mean, I'll never forget this interview where I was at Vitz and they were like, so you went to the States at a very young age. Did you go through any emotional turmoil? And I was like, of course, I was 18. I had no support systems. Everyone was six hours behind or ahead of us. Yeah. I couldn't speak to my family when I wanted to. I'm there. I'm like under so much pressure academically, swimming wise, Physically, you know, yeah. like it's just a lot. And I was like, I did go through homesickness and I went through periods where, you know, you go through that honeymoon phase and it's like, oh my God, America. Like, yeah. it's so cool. <laughs> you know, and then you're like, uh, uh, I miss like, you know, the cashier check is not greedy. You, I'm you know? <laughs> like, those kind of things were like things that I was like, damn, I missed that, you know. Yeah. And so I said, of course, I went through like emotional turmoil. And so they're like, yeah. would you say you're depressed? And I was like, no, depression is like a constant state of up and down. Yeah. So I wouldn't say that constantly I went through that, you know. Yeah. My first two years were hell. And then I was like, you know what? I don't want to be like every South African that gets given this incredible opportunity and then 
six months later or the yeah. first holiday they get to go home they're like you know what I'm going to call it quits because yeah. as South Africans, we get given things on a silver platter. We have an incredible support system. Mm-hmm. Our parents are there, especially swimmers. You know, it's so demanding that we have to have people supporting us all the oh, time. Yeah, you have an entire tribe, uh, you know, like a support system. So, yeah. And then I was like, you know what, actually, I'm going to be that South African that actually makes something out of this experience. Yeah. And so I was like, you know what, my third year, I'm going to fully embrace this experience and then, you know, started doing other things and then, Onida the swimmer was still there but Onida the activist started coming out Onida you know I guess just came into her own so I knew that when once I had graduated it's every athlete's dream to go to the Olympics but realistically I was like I'm not there and I'm not willing to work another you know however many years doing this sport that has already given me so much I don't want to be greedy and be like okay I'm going to continue riding that wave knowing yeah. that that wave is crashing slowly yeah so yeah, yeah. But like you said you went right so you finished your degree you came home and then at what point did you start your business I came home and I actually I didn't know what I was going to do because obviously my dad was like look think twice about that master's and then I was like, you know what? I've always wanted to go into law. Maybe I should do a postgraduate degree LLB. Yeah. So did that in 2016, applied, went to VITS, but I never felt fulfilled. Right. So I felt like I, you know, I didn't want to be needed the student for the rest of her life, you know, <laughs> because it's an easy comfort that anyone yeah. can be like trapped True. in, you know. Yep. And so eventually I was like, I need to do something where I'm actually giving back. I'm actually I feel good, you know, yeah. because so many people get stuck in a job where they're like, I'm doing it because I have to. Yeah. But ultimately, when you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. Yeah. You know, yeah. you always feel like every day is a challenge and every day is a blessing rather than, geez, every day is a drag so I decided you know I actually always said I never wanted to do anything within swimming because the last time I loved swimming was with my first coach and that she left to go and um, coach in the states when I was about eight nine and I never remembered loving the sport since then and so I never wanted to do anything with within the sport I actually I had this real hate relationship not even love hate relationship hate relationship because it just I knew I was good at it but it was so physically emotionally draining that I've gone through complete ups within the sport Mm -hmm. but really really low Low lows lows. you know yeah and it's 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 either coaches it's either the history of the sport that really just takes it you know it's toil on you so I didn't want to do anything within swimming but at that time where I felt like I wasn't really doing anything worthwhile, mm-hmm. I thought, let me go back to the one thing that gave me so much. Yeah. So let me go back to the sport that allowed me to travel the world, to meet so many incredible people, and also to really just, I mean, I got my education through swimming. Yeah. You know, everywhere from high school through to university, I had just been blessed because of swimming. Yeah. And so I went back to my old coach and I was like, I don't know, do, do I swim again? And then I was like, I've been enjoying this, like, <laughs> you know, NARP, non-athlete, real person yeah. life. I don't want to be, you know, back in and that routine. And it's one of those things that when you jump off the bandwagon, even for just a little oh, bit, so it tough. sets you back. Like, just a simple year could set you back so so much and yeah. the pressure like you're saying the pressure of then getting back into that yeah. and having to 
break new personal best records or whatever yeah. records you need to break i'm sure it must be really tough and physically taxing really. yeah 100 percent. and swimming's one of the sports where you'll put in years of training and only take off point zero 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 three yeah. on your on your time <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're like and that's like huge you're like Yes, you know, like well, finally, but that's nothing, you yeah. know, in the swimming world, that's nothing. And so once you get to that competitive point, taking off time is like taboo, basically, yeah. you know. And so I went back into, he was like, look, I need someone to help me coach. Come. And I was like, well, no, I can't deal with this. Like, I don't want to be there. I don't want to, you know. And, you know, they say like every athlete isn't necessarily a great coach mm-hmm. and every coach isn't necessarily a great, a great athlete. athlete. Yeah. And I thought, oh jeez am I gonna be that person who's like a really good athlete but then like can't really give back to the sport or what am I gonna be and then I was like okay well let me just do this thing and I found myself saving his business so a lot of people who wanted to leave who were very unhappy he would say go to Anita and if you really don't like it then you know we'll we'll let you go type of thing so this almost sounds like it's a bit of your purpose because now you are what your coach was to you to other kids other kids absolutely full circle moment moment where you think okay these kids actually depend on me and you might find that that they'll have the same story like a few years from now where it's like oh my word my coach and they'll go to the Olympics and it's crazy because every time in like interviews that I do they ask me like what what is my coaching style and I immediately go back to my first coach and I said I loved the sport she was the type of coach we invited to our birthday party she was a second mother and I like to think you know when kids are young they're at a vulnerable stage where they're moldable yeah. so you have the ability to influence them what you say they you know they soak up yeah. and so you can say something that is controversial and they'll go with that you yeah. can say something that's completely inspiring and inspirational to them yeah. and that's what they will remember and so I like to think that that is me to my you know kids is that a lot of them will do like career day and like what do you want to do and then their parents will like tag me and I get so emotional you know they'll be like I want to be a swimming coach like Onida and I want to go to the Olympics like Onida you know and it's 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 incredible because I like to think that I am influencing kids not only in terms of using sport as that outlet and that medium to really break away from like the pressures of society and to find your own and to you know sport has the ability to bring people together and it has the ability to take people out of circumstances and inspire them beyond you know and so I always feel that that is like my responsibility and every time I try and get out of the sport like this year I was just like you know what I feel so stagnant within the sport I feel so stagnant in terms of personal growth as a businesswoman as a coach as just as an individual and I looked at other opportunities and I had other opportunities but the sport keeps on calling me yeah you know and it's like oh damn so I have to be in here another five years <laughs> yeah but maybe you know maybe there's something incredible that's going to come out of those five years and just kind of embrace that journey yeah. and stay in it you know yeah. there's always something to learn from that experience absolutely so. so what would you say is your ideal circumstance you mentioned that you had gone to Cape Town for a job interview or an interview mm-hmm. so where are you trying to get to right now? What what does the perfect, not perfect, but let's say the life you want right now, what does that look like? 
So because I started my nonprofit kind of around the same time that I started my business, I always knew that, yes, of course, you know, we all got to live, <laughs> we mm-hmm. all got to eat as much as I'm starting my business to be something that's sustainable and, you know, to kind of bring in an income. I always knew I wanted to give back. Yeah. So at the same time, that's why I started my nonprofit, because whatever money I made initially from my business, I put into my nonprofit because, mm-hmm. yes, we have people who are, have the ability to pay for for lessons and can send their kids and like you know do whatever but we also have people who are not exposed to those kind of opportunities yeah. so I knew I had to give back and so I always used to say if I could do something for the rest of my life it would be my nonprofit because it really brings me so much joy knowing that yes you're obviously teaching a life skill a very important life skill but you're really inspiring young black minds to dream beyond their circumstances and not mm-hmm. to be victim of their circumstance Absolutely. because it's not your circumstance that cripples you it's your mind that cripples you so when you have someone who inspires you and allows you to dream beyond what you know as your life mm-hmm. The world is your oyster and you will forever be blessed in anything that you do because your mind is the one thing that's taking you out of it. Yeah. And, you know, my mom grew up in a very poverty stricken household, but somehow she got into sport. She almost drowned when she was, I think it was nine or 11, one of the two. She might be mad because I don't know. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, Sorry, she, almost, <laughs> she almost drowned and she eventually someone in her, you know, community said they would teach her how to swim. And she actually became an incredible swimmer were it not for the racial bigotries at the time probably would have gone on to represent South Africa so and she said it was sport that really took her out of that environment you know a lot of her friends and family stayed in that cycle but she knew you know she She was going to break free exactly she was going to break free so Yeah. yeah I think you know being involved in my nonprofit for the rest of my life would be ideal. But I got an opportunity. I mean, I was shortlisted for a job in Cape Town that was executive director of drowning prevention at the oh, National wow. Sea Rescue Institute. Well, that's and right I was up like, your alley. If there was <laughs> ever an ideal job for oh Anita that Cooper, that is it. And that's I was like, calling. when I saw it, I was like, okay, I don't really have, you know, the experience and whatever, you know, they needed. But you know what? I'm going to shoot my shot and yes. I'm going to let them tell me. I'm not worthy but like I'm gonna go for it and so I applied and they were like we've shortlisted you and I was like yes so lockdown happened and I was Uh like I'm gonna chase that that job I'm gonna follow up with them every like two weeks I was like what's happening where like where are you you know and I think eventually they were like damn okay we're interviewing now you know okay and went into that interview and I've never been I mean, I'm a director in another company as well. So I've been in boardrooms and stuff like that. But as a 27-year-old young woman, to be in a room with like 60-year-old men and, you know, women, but everyone was incredibly experienced and successful and just really intimidating and then you know the only thing that I knew would hinder me from getting this job would be my age because it's not just a normal position it's an executive Mm -hmm. director position and unfortunately ageism comes into play you know and you can be perfect you can be a go-getter and I try to like sell the fact that young individuals are hungry to make a name for themselves and hungry for change like I can tell you where your your programs are going wrong. Yeah. You know? But to bring in that fresh perspective, the, innova- the innovation that is needed, you know, for their businesses to grow and come out of that stagnant position that are, that they're probably in. in. And, yeah. they're, and they know it. But because sometimes I feel like 
ageism I feel is fueled by ego mm-hmm. so the ego takes over that space and then next thing you know you you actually just don't get it because of your age factor and you know and it exactly and that's the unfortunate thing because at the end they were like look it was between you and someone else they only shortlisted three individuals from like hundreds of applicants wow. and they were like it was really between you and someone else and unfortunately we've gone with someone who's older and I was like oh <laughs> I was like, you're lost. You're, gonna, yeah. you're not going to reach that target of getting 1 million individuals water safe in a year. And then I was like, you know what? At the end of the day, that's okay. You that's know, when one fine. door closes, another and opens. Preach that part. Yeah. I'm going to say exactly that. And you know, like, and then I got an incredible opportunity. I was approached by an international school in Singapore. They were looking for someone to add to their team and I have just accepted the job and I'm just like waiting on my work visa to come through. I was about to say, are you off to Singapore? Oh my God, we got you. And you know how crazy it is? Like, you know, they say when it rains, it pours. Oh, and this yeah. Yeah. A terrible year just for me personally. And so when I didn't get that first literally dream job, I was like, oh. What else is there? Like this year is going to be a year of no's. And then this opportunity came. And as soon as this opportunity came, I got approached by Swimming South Africa to help them with their development and transformation. And I was like a year later because they had contacted me once my nonprofit started essentially making waves they they were like we need to speak to you we need your help we need your input mm-hmm. and i found that they had contacted me and then i was chasing them and i was like i don't actually need you no, no, no. You, you need, need me. me because i'm doing <laughs> what i'm doing with the means that i i mean i raise funds by swimming from robin island i've done everything i don't need you i'm changing lives every single day we've taught over 120 individuals to be water safe like i'm doing what you guys have the mandate to do and the money to do but are failing to do but because i believe so much in development and in every child being a swimmer i was like you know what i'm just going to continue doing what i'm doing and yeah and of course the day i signed the vice president of swimming south africa phoned me and i was like hmm timing you know timing is everything <laughs> and, and you know course. and then also That's got approached crazy. to be on a project gender based violence campaign and i was just like everything that really fuels me and gets me going is just coming into plate but it's like timing you know yeah, and i guess that's yeah. the way the universe works is you know you're questioned is this really what you want and of yeah. course it's an opportunity you can't give up but there's always you know that little devil on your shoulder like really is yeah. it you're gonna go yeah. as far as singapore <laughs> right you know but yeah don't let that happen because i'm, I'm yeah. glad the way you said where you said they need me kind of thing it's, it's so important that you recognize that because a lot of that confidence young, you know so... not even young but i think a lot of people will always have that imposter syndrome mm-hmm. and yes. don't let that happen to you so hold on to that yeah. no 100 percent. and i said you know what i'm more than willing to be a consultant i'm mm-hmm. willing to be that constructive criticism person to tell you this is where your program is working this is where you're not going to work from the point of view of a swimmer a coach uh whatever you want but at the end of the day i also need to advance i also need to make sure that i'm growing and i'm you know flourishing in life so mm. this opportunity isn't an opportunity that's gonna make me what I want to be in five years sure it's great to have on my CV and it's incredible to be a part of you know an executive committee however change is so 
stagnated, especially in South Africa, in a number of things. Yeah. We can identify the problem. However, the Moving ability the to, do, yes. to, to change yeah. and the ability to actually be active is like, you know, we'll wait another five years. Pulling teeth, as yeah. you said earlier so on. Having had come full circle, so to speak, with everything that's happened to you in sports, what would your advice be to a young Onida who is coming up, including the disadvantages and all the emotional turmoil that you'd went through and all the difficulties? Like, what would you have to say to them? I think the easiest thing is to, you know, just to say to persevere on. But I always use the phrase, a rising tide lifts all boats. And so if it weren't for struggles, if it weren't for challenges, life would be boring, right? We would all be the same. And in life, we all have different DNA. Mm-hmm. We all come from different paths, bring, yeah, yeah, upbringings, yeah. cultural backgrounds, Background. influences. We're born to be different, and so yes, someone else's journey might seem easier. However, we've never walked a day in their shoes, and it's this common thing of you know, and especially us as South Africans, we compare pain. You know, we say. I cut my foot and you broke your arm, but my pain is is more than yours. And that is something that we need to break away Mm, from. Pain is pain regardless, because you don't know how that pain has affected me. Or my my ability to overcome that pain, be it that I have the infrastructure in place to help me progress from that. So to a young individual, be it in anything, you know, my advice is there's a reason why you're going through this and it might not seem simple it might seem overwhelming at the time and you know they always say there's a light at the end of the tunnel and I'm like geez I'm waiting for that light you know? <laughs> but, but, but I really do believe because mm-hmm. be it that you won't physically see the change emotionally and as an individual you will grow and yeah. you will know the reason why you had to go through such terrible times yeah. because you will always come out better you know yeah. and stronger and if anything building character is so much better than having something tangible to show for Absolutely. challenge right sure. yeah. so that's part of your legacy it's part of your plan it's part of your journey and you've got to embrace it because no journey is easy any successful individual will tell you that no journey is easy and if it's easy it's not worth a journey with with living right you know the results of going through whatever difficulty you've gone through are not immediate sometimes Mm -hmm. you're not going to see it straight after it happens sometimes it's going to take like a decade later and you look back in retrospect and you're like actually that is why i had to go through all of that oh now it makes sense you know it it might take a while but just try to find the lesson in everything and i think that was pretty poignant thank you for that you said this was a rocky year (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) so i do want to rewind 2020 Mm -hmm. a little bit you actually were a contestant i don't know to what level you got on miss sa this year which is Mind you, for anybody that's missing a little bit of background, it was done pretty much virtually (laughs) this year. Tell us about your experience with that. I guess in my family... Had I told everyone in my family that I was doing it, they'd be like, don't be dumb. This isn't you. (laughs) And I'll be very honest with you. I'm not a pageant girl. Never have I been. I don't like to conform to molds. And I don't like people to tell me what to be or what to say or how to act. And so with that being said, I thought the idea of pageantry had changed because unfortunately or 
maybe fortunately in South Africa, the Miss South Africa platform is the biggest woman empowerment platform we have. Yep. Right. And so with new ownership, I guess, two years ago and with how last year's pageant went in terms of embracing all body shapes and sizes, mm-hmm. all individuals. Yes, of course, we still have that mold and that idea of what a Miss South Africa should be based on its history I just thought wow progression you know and what more exactly and what more than a Miss South Africa that's completely relatable right and someone that actually connects with the people of South Africa because I mean I, I speak to a lot of people about this and so many people are like we have yet to have a Miss South Africa obviously Zosi being the exception that has really connected to the masses, you know, or has been able to get down and dirty in terms of trying to connect, you know, and breaking that idea of we are unattainable Mm -hmm. or you this idea and this is the mold and that's what it should be like, you know. And so I thought, wow, we're moving and the trajectory in which the pageant was going was breaking free of that like pageant world mm-hmm. but more of an ambassador to our country because mm-hmm. that's essentially what, what it is. a Miss South Africa yep. should be is an ambassador who can speak for our country who represents our country to its purest form is a reflection of the demographic and dynamic South mm-hmm. Africa that we are and I was like hey that's me you know <laughs> and I was like I tick those boxes <laughs> and the more I started thinking about it I was like okay you know what you would probably fall on that stage, mm-hmm. granted, because you're that fancy. <laughs> and I was willing to be that first woman to fall on that stage. But you also are extremely educated and mm-hmm. you speak from a point of knowing where change needs to start, right? Yeah. And not just saying we need change, but this is the plan and how we are going to change, yeah, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah, and then I decided to enter. However, I will be very honest with you, when the, I guess, application process came out and when the guidelines of you have to upload a video to your social media mm. i was extremely hesitant about that right. because i know how toxic social media can be mm-hmm. and i know how there's very little room for you to say or not say the right thing 100 percent. and yeah. i knew how judgmental people could uh-huh. be behind a screen and so i was very very hit and all your social media had to be public not private and I was on private so I was like okay and I you know was putting it off I was speaking to a number of people and they were like what is the worst thing that could happen they don't choose you your life goes on this doesn't determine your future absolutely and I was like "Ah, okay cool (laughs) (laughs) you know there's that very big but however I did it and of course you get the natural you're ugly you're fat you're whatever and I was like God. doesn't phase me right no, I've had worse I've had people say worse that's fine and then didn't even think to go as far back to I guess see what I said what I didn't say the kind of character I was five years seven years Wait, ten years so ago so people went back onto your so Twitter to do that how no. people went as far back as ten years <gasps> to see kidding what I said yeah. or what I didn't say and without understanding context who I was speaking to yeah. what was being said people blew things out of proportion and that's okay because everyone is entitled to have their own opinion however you know, with freedom of speech comes great responsibility. responsibility. Mm-hmm. Do not infringe on someone else's views, religious, personal, whatever. And that simple 
I guess, thing is not considered when it comes to social media. People just mm-hmm. feel the need. And that's, I guess, a problem and a downside of social media is yep. that nothing is censored and They're people the get rules. the ability to say and do, yeah. how, you know, regardless of repercussions, There's right? Word. And the fact that we even have to use this thing as black Twitter is, is cringy. You know, that we even have to say black Twitter came for me, you know? But yeah, and then people took what I said talking to my friend look context is everything yeah. and I was yeah. even like where is the, what is this a tweet where I'm talking to my friend about her black toes only to find out we were talking about you know Woolworths has that gums galore sweet yes. you know Contem- combination yes. Yes. there is that licorice black foot yes <laughs> and my friend Tato had very ugly toes she was a ballerina so Naturally, ballerinas have know this, to be crazy. Crazy. Yeah. this is, bear in mind, one of my best friends at the time whose mother, grandmother, sister to grandmother, mother brought me up. Mm-hmm. You know, I come from a mixed background. My father was on Robben Island for five years. I come from a highly politically influenced family. Right. Anyway, because one of our friends said she's going to take a photo of that black foot, licorice foot in the gums galore and take a photo of Tato's black feet and put it on Twitter. Oh and I said, God. that's your fault because she took a photo of her toes for right. us. I said, it's your fault for taking a picture of your black toes. Yeah. Now I'm racist. So okay, let but me this understand was 10 years ago, 10, right? And so you were like, 17 years old. I could not be accountable for what That's I said yeah. or what I did at 17 years old, though. Look, and then it that went further because that was one thing that was huge. Mm-hmm. And then it's this term of the N-word and who can use, it that you're retweeting lyrics Ooh. or you're using the, the word. Deep. And here's my, my view on that. We have a huge double standard when it comes to who can and can't say. And a person of color, be it male, I'll use an example, a.k.a. Shane Eagle, can use those lyrics in their music. However, the minute a woman of color retweets lyrics or uses the term in a different context, still from the influence of a pop culture context and still using it because the root of the word has evolved. Mm-hmm. And a, a black Americans will tell you this. The root of the word has evolved. It is no longer used in a slavery context. It is now transformed into a term of endearment. They've owned so it we've so used, that it doesn't we use have it as that a power. term of endearment. Yeah. In a South African context, we did not go through slavery. We are not America. Be it that we use terms that are derogatory to our climate, our context, our past, that is completely different. Yeah. And that is questionable. However, no South African can claim American pain. Yeah. You know what I mean? So now it's this term of no South African in general should then be using this word. Because we can't say men of color in their music because they're in hip hop in hip hop can use it but because I'm a clinical psychologist you know I'm in pop culture now I can't use that word and I hate that double standard because I am the type of person that is very introspective and I went back and I was like geez Anita why would you do this when you were 17 years old however that was no, the climate at the time so that was how my friends no, no, no. we engaged yeah. and I didn't even you know a lot of people then went on and used I guess me as the guinea pig to go and 
delete things that they said and delete whatever. And I said, that actually isn't because I'm not going to apologize for something that I'm actually not wrong. I'm not wrong. And, yeah. and because people fail to see context, which is clearly there, yeah. people fail to see context. They looked at the fact that my profile picture was with me, blonde hair, lighter hue at the time, and immediately resorted to she's white. Oh and what irritates me the most is the fact that people went as far as making YouTube pages, going on about my family saying, okay, her dad's Indian, but her mom's white. My mom is not white. And that is extremely disrespectful to tell me something or demand something on me that is incorrect. And the fact that people ran with that and went with that Mm -hmm. is like, you don't know. So who gave you the right to speak? You don't know my mom. I didn't know that my mom was white. Now I must go question my mom. (laughs) Damn mom, you are, you know, but, but, and, and it's a struggle because no one knows your parents struggle. No one knows the struggle you've gone through, especially me as a person of color in a white dominated sport and how I had to essentially fight and struggle for recognition. How many times I've been victim of racism within sport and now I have to be called a racist when everything I do is to make sure that we have recognition in anything that we do. So call me fat, call me ugly, but don't ever question my character, especially when I do so much for recognition and empowerment for people of color and black people in society. Absolutely. I appreciate that girl and thank you for clarifying that because I think it's important to actually address it and I think it's been enough time has passed 100%. for you to actually address it. And I yeah. feel like you've actually, you've made peace with that and you're, you're somewhere else right now. But just to go back to what you were saying in terms of in South Africa, maybe even, even in Africa, we have this really bad habit of comparing pain, mm-hmm. right? And we got to stop that. <laughs> you don't know yeah. it. Yes, sure. My shade of brown might be a bit lighter, but it does not take away the fact that perhaps you don't know the full story yeah. to me. At the end of the day, I am shades lighter than a lot of, of women, but I'm from Mozambique, yeah, one of the poorest countries in the world. So no, you don't know my story. You don't know my struggle. You don't know what I've had to do. So we're all in this together. I think the yeah. moment we understand as women, number one, because what's crazy is that there were women bringing you down. You know, mm-hmm. there were men, yeah, sure, but I, there were, it was mainly women. Mm-hmm. So there's this whole feminist divide that I hope we get to address in this podcast at some point. But it's sad when I see that, I'm just like completely sad about that. And you yeah. needn't had to justify, you know, what you said 17 years ago. But unfortunately, this is the time we live in. We look at Kevin Hart. He had For his sure. Oscar situation. That whole thing happened about a tweet that happened, you know, so long ago as well. And he had to apologize. But you know, he was like, guys, I'm not going to do it. He had the same stance as you did. And I completely get that. This whole cancel culture situation is what needs to change. The people that are living on these platforms and doing this, they're trolls, Onida. I know. You know, and I love the fact that you have so much confidence and you know who you are, that they haven't stolen that, that light from you. If that, anything, that's they're 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 that light. Yes. Yes. And, and you know, it's crazy. I always say it would be remiss of us as a people to uh-huh. think that we're the same people as we were 10 years ago. Absolutely. Because even our queen of the universe had controversial tweets from 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's that double standard that people were like, but it's 10 years ago. She's changed. She's not the same person. And it's like, be consistent. And yeah. like you're saying, this pain, you know, it takes me back to Black Lives Matter movement. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was in the States when everything kind of unfolded, you know, for the first time. And I remember I was dating a white 
member of the soccer team at the time and I always used to do things for extra credit I did a double major in women's studies and clinical psychology and the nice thing about the states is you could do things for extra credit and get that a if you were just you know shy of it and so I went to a black lives movement conversation that was happening by black activists and I remember being so afraid to talk when I was in America just because it's like ah where's she from what is she and it's this thing you know the unfortunate I mean it's a it's a blessing and I love who I am and the where I come from and the fact that my parents are different and they've merged you know two different cultures and races together but it's also a constant struggle being a mixed race child Mm -hmm. because you feel like you don't belong you know I go to my colored side of the family and it's like you're not colored enough and then I go to my Indian side of the family and it's like you're not Indian enough so where do you belong so Anyway, I ended up speaking at this, you know, convention or this conversation that was happening and comparing a South African context to an American context in saying that we are the majority and it's our people that are doing this to us, right? Now, fast forward to this year where, you know, enough is enough and people essentially put their foot down and it's like, you know what, we're not going to take racism anymore we're not going to take this police brutality that is racially you know exactly and so now we have south africans who are in solidarity of black lives matter however every year we have xenophobic attacks so (laughs) no you're right i have have a problem with that i I have a problem with that because every year we deny our own african brothers brothers and sisters sisters, yet we want to be Pro Black Lives Matter, but mm-hmm. it starts at home. It also, starts with your own people. Not a conversation people are ready to have, or willing to have, or willing to have, because it's okay for this whole cultural content online for people to have certain opinions when it comes to certain things sure. and be too sensitive when it comes to certain things. But the moment you go back and you talk about xenophobia and what mm. South Africa specifically does, always xenophobia does, yeah. does mm-hmm. being yeah. the operative word. No, then were too sensitive but taking a tweet from 17 years ago or from 10 years ago is not absolutely fine no, it's fine so let's yeah. ruin her life and not knowing <laughs> what the repercussions of what she actually went through because no, of, of that turmoil yes. and not even having, having trolls or even understanding the ability under, for her to overcome yeah. that like you and don't know what your thing. words are doing this cultural yeah. content we're not trying to understand it you're literally taking it at face value by reading one tweet one two, exactly yeah. 160 characters one tweet yeah so and you're episode, taking that and just blowing it out of blowing it up and yeah. nods viral because of one <laughs> fucking tweet. <laughs> so the xenophobia stuff is very it's so personal to me because I mean going to school here and having those moments where like the embassy has to call my mom and be like actually pull your kid out of school like she can't go to school this week it's just not safe and I'm just like but why like I'm mm. you know yeah but they know you're foreign at the end of the day I don't know what they're gonna do to you like stay away from the streets you know like. It was so, it's something that I had to deal with all of my school career here, you know. So you're right. I I also feel some type of way like, okay, fine, Black Lives Matter. But suddenly, you know, Zim or Mozambique or Angolans or Nigerians who played a major part in the freedom of South Africa. Hello. (laughs) Like... Can I get some credit out here? Yeah. You know, but no, you want to tell us we're taking your jobs, we're doing this, we're doing that. Like, it's so blurred. Look, I think the problem is South Africans are lazy. We know that. And so we expect a but lot of things. we have a problem with that. We have a problem with the fact that each time we say our own people are lazy, then we get looked at funny because then 
you get told you're pro-foreign. What is pro-foreign? We're all Africans in Africa. I guess the it's issue really there is, is, is the generalizing. Really I guess it's the issue really there is the generalizing. Because what is pro-foreign yeah. to Africans? Look, the reality is, is that when you are forced to make something, when you have a family to feed yeah. and you are put in a situation where it's survival of the fittest out here, it's sink or swim, you're going to do what you need to do. Absolutely. And so that's the idea of, you know, South Africans being like, we're ta- you're taking our jobs, but we want things to be given to us. We want that, you know, corner store to be ours, but we don't want to put in the groundwork to do that. We are known for that. We are known for wanting things on a silver plate and then not willing to work for it. Why do you think we have so much corruption in our country? Because everyone wants to be given something, but they don't want to work for it and Mm. so it's finding these loopholes all the time to do things why do you think i mean my brother said something to me today he came back from the uk yesterday and he has to go into quarantine because obviously he's coming from the uk and despite him being a south african citizen having a place to quarantine they were like no we're gonna put you up in a four-star hotel in santon all expenses paid for your 10-day quarantine. I looked at the price this morning because I was like, this is ludicrous. We have people who still haven't received their food parcels, who still don't have running water, who still don't have electricity, but you're willing to pay 1277 a night for 10 nights for one person who lives in South Africa who can easily stay in their home. quarantine in their own home. And you're providing three meals for them. That is absolutely disgusting. It's disgusting. So then it goes back to everything. There's so many issues. I always say this, you know, South Africa is faced with so many pandemics. We have racism. We have gender-based violence. We have corruption. We have so many pandemics that we're fighting. It is so hard to rank what is more important Important. than the other. So the easiest thing to do, like our president does, is acknowledge gender-based violence. Acknowledge what is happening. Mm -hmm. However, we're failing to act on it. We don't have anything. anything. Yeah, Yeah, we're not doing anything. We don't have the reforms in place to do things. No, we don't. And the worst part, like you mentioned, you know, about women being the catalyst of a lot of harm to our ourselves my favorite thing that i say is women you know we constantly competing against each other mm-hmm. yet we fail to complete each other yeah. and it's yes. always That's something sad. that i go by I and so I mean, it's it's incredible because i said it one day in an interview and so many women start using that phrase and that mm-hmm. you know we competing against each other always however when it comes time to completing each other we're the same woman who's like you're beautiful she's ugly Right? Mm, yeah. You look so great, my angel. Yeah. Oh my God, did you see what she's wearing? And it took me actually doing a double major in women's studies to figure out that I was part of that problem. And, you know, I was guilty of saying that. It stems from insecurities, it stems from us not being able to embrace. Yeah. The fact that she is so free. She loves herself. She embraces all of her. And because I'm dealing with demons, the easiest thing for me to do is to break her down so she feels the pain that I'm feeling constantly. You know, Anita, in the words of RuPaul, you know, for the haters that come your way, something that's stuck with me. And I'm going to try, I haven't had the opportunity to use it, but I want to share it with you guys and the listeners. If you do have people coming asking you, but what are you? Like, what race are you? You know, you just tell them, I don't see how that's any of your business. There we go. Done. You know, just to evade that. But you know, you know, D, the issue with that is a lot of the times we live in a country where you're constantly, you have to be categorized. Every form you fill in 
school, bank, whatever, even a job, you have to acknowledge what race you are. So at some point, even if you don't have to address it with anybody, you yourself have to figure out who you are because you have to put it down somewhere, you know? But even the fact that you have to put it down somewhere, our constitution labels everyone who is not white as black. As black. So <laughs> yeah. I, I take that. Be it that I politically identify as black mm-hmm. or whatever stance I identify, I'm told I'm black and I take that. Then I claim my blackness and then it's like, no, you're not. Black enough. You're not, you're you're not black, black enough. enough. Black so enough. then, mm-hmm. and then I had people even, I mean, I tweeted something in Zulu because I speak a little bit of Zulu and people are like, okay, she's black. You know, because now I speak a little See bit these of conditions. Or, or okay, her dad spent five years on Robin Island. She can claim blackness, but it's. But who it's are these so, gatekeepers, though? It, it, who makes the you a gatekeeper? This though? is the thing, and and for you know the sad part about South Africa is that we we confused all the time because we have so many different labels, right? Mm-hmm. So our constitution can tell us there's two labels, and then furthermore. After that umbrella body of two, there's these springboards of there's, you know, Asian, there's white, there's colored, there's so-called Indian. Like, what is it, you know? And then, furthermore, in that, where does mixed race, you know, where do we fit in? Where do we? That was Dominique. So, like, so we all went to school together. (laughs) And we really have a funny story. We went to school together. And that's how we became friends. (laughs) Explain yourself, child. (laughs) Grade eight. And, you know, we're trying to you know establish a connection and you you want to find your tribe and naturally back then it's like okay she kind of looks colored we kind of look like each other <laughs> it's a thing like we still know where's like the black girls with the black the white with the, you know and yeah. i approached carla and i, I walked up to her so i'm like hello macy you know like what primary school did you go to and she's like, like macy what is your name she's like no. No. You're being so rude. Like, what's going on? But she shouldn't understand any of her content. I just babbled on, and all she said to me was, no. And here we are, 17 years you later. No. Wow. But I face so much of that, like, going forward, like, just trying to break that barrier and having to be that person to actually be like, actually, guys, yes, we may look alike. We may have different shades of brown, but we're so different at the end of the day. Yeah. And sometimes I guess maybe that will become a layer of our purpose is to enlighten some people. It's tough because obviously, you know, all these behaviors are learned, right? You learn to hate. No one is born a hater, you know, and it it sucks because obviously you become a product of your environment. So if your parents are talking about certain things, you naturally, that's the kind of, you know, stance you take on and that's the opinion you Mm -hmm. take on. And I had an encounter once where one of like, I I hate to say we have favorites, but we do. Um, (laughs) One of my favorite little girls, incredible, like, just so lovable she came to me and I kind of rank my kids in groups you know and I use color colors so that I know okay green is like beginner whatever and her one of her friends her I guess I don't know if you can call them BFFs but one of her close friends in her class they were in grade one at the time and Noni was swimming at the same time but a different group and this child was in a different group and she said why is Noni not swimming with us? And I said, no, Noni's in a different group. She's swimming with the other coach, whatever. And she's like, why is it because Noni's black and black girls can't swim? Mm, the stereotype. And I was like, whew. Okay. First of all, who, God to- give who me taught you that? Who told you that? Right? So I was like, okay, so today I'm supposed to be a teacher, you know? Like yeah. today I've got to do my bit. And it was hard because 
this is an innocent child, you know, taking on something. But where did that something come, come from? from? Where mm-hmm. did it stem from? Did it stem from this reality that is in schools? Is that the weaker swimmers are always the people of color? Or, you know, like you said, dining room table talk that is happening in your homes, which is context where how how does it even come into play you yeah. know and and it's crazy because it's your you know you've got a in life i always say to like a lot of people if something is worth your emotional energy mm-hmm. invest in it do whatever you need to do educate talk about it until you black and blue because you've decided that it's worth your emotional right. energy if it's not let it go let it be you know yeah but there's certain things in life that we can't just turn a blind eye to, mm-hmm. right? Because then we're part of the problem yep. that's perpetuating this idea and this context. And that fueling is- the stereotype. But I can see how that can happen. Also, don't forget that we also live in this TikTok age and meme age where everything is a joke. But to a kid who is, like you said, vulnerable and highly impressionable, they're looking at that like, oh, yeah, yeah, black girls don't, don't, don't swim because they don't want to mess up their hair. So we see these memes, we see these videos being made and people talking about this so lightly, but then it will have some form of an effect depending on who the audience is. And that's probably what you got. Yeah. However, the reality is she's correct. A lot of black people do not know how to swim. And that is because of our past. And that is because of separate amenity where we couldn't, you didn't have access to. To So the the reality is, is that she's not wrong in identifying the problem that is in our society. Mm -hmm. Is that, yes, this is something that actually needs to change. Is that the color of the, and I always say this, I'm, I'm so adamant on changing the color of the sport. I'm so adamant of changing the faces you see in pools, you know, because there is no reason why we can't have our own, you know, representative at the Olympics. However, those few token swimmers of color who have been there have been there because we fit that, you know, quota system of you have to have one person of color for developmental purposes and then you've got to have so constantly I was fighting with this idea of do I really deserve to be there or am I there because you need me Need to to be be there there. Mm. and it sucked because I'll never forget my brother and I I mean my brother was also a South African swimmer and a couple of times we would sit and we'd be like oh we wish we were white you know and in my household that is something that is like crazy that's hectic you know especially Mm. because like I don't think my dad sat on Robin Island for five years waiting for his kids to be like, I wish I I was something else, you know, and not because of anything other than a feeling like you're worthy, feeling like you deserve to be there. Like all your hard work Mm -hmm. is not because of some quota system that our government has put in place, which we need because without that, we wouldn't have development without BEE. We wouldn't have people of color thriving. We wouldn't have black owned businesses. Right. But it's the emotional turmoil that that brings in, you know, you figuring out whether you're worthy, yeah. whether it, you deserve to be there. And that fuels the imposter syndrome as well, right? It kind of doesn't yeah. help. And yeah. I had swimmers, you know, I had friends who, this girl that I was best friends with at the time, eventually like hating on me in the pool and her sister i'll never forget this day her sister scratched me in the pool and i was like just let me go i'm faster than you stop let me go and she was like it's because of you that my sister couldn't make that team and i was like huh 
what do you mean by that? You know? And I didn't know what that meant. And I went home and my mom picked me up from swimming. She's like, how was swimming? And I was like, Janine said this. Oh, and my so mom was like, explain oh, the shit. System hell, to you know, you. all hell broke loose. My dad called a disciplinary hearing and I didn't get it. I didn't get, that was a racial connotation and racially intended comment. I didn't again. get that. I didn't get that. I was young. I was like 11. I made my first team when I was 12. So it was like 11 going on 12. And I didn't get that. And we never, we were never friends ever since then. Dinner wow. table conversation. You were not conditioned to think that way, but, but the, she the conditions mm. back at her uh, her household were yeah. completely different. Yeah. yeah. So it's the same way everyone says. Yeah. Nobody's born racist. Yeah. yeah. You're not yeah. born colorist. You're not born racist. You're not born hateful. But you're conditioned, or you're treated by your parents, taught by your parents, or your influences around you, yeah. that you now become this monster. Yeah. Yeah. For what reason? Because same applies to us. I'm black. But before pro-melanin, I was just an awkward dark-skinned girl that was skinny and tall. And I'm Zonga. So even worse, <laughs> half my life, I was called a foreigner. The so tribalism. I was then conditioned Gosh. to go, okay, but y'all ain't shit though. <laughs> because first of all, I'm pretty. Okay? Yes, you are, but mama. it can't get to that point where I'm uncomfortable. But I'm black, like the rest of them. <laughs> but I'm uncomfortable. You're uncomfortable. You look, as they say, colored. Mm. But no, not colored enough because you're not South African. Same applies to you, Anita. What am I? Same, exactly. <laughs> so where do we get to common ground to say Dom is South African? So Dom is like the only person. Token yeah, colored girl. The token colored girl that qualifies to be either a colored South African girl or a black South African girl, depending on which way she wants to go. I heard an interesting term, racially ambiguous. I use yes. that. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, Let me tell yeah, you. That's the one. They dragged you. me. Let me tell you. Me ta- Look, I could actually Ooh. say anything and, and they'll it, drag I mean, you because yeah. even still like i mean i i was obviously forced to put out a statement i did but i said you know and i had so many people you know helping me communications pr lawyer whatever oh, you name you, it i can imagine but at the end of the day i was like you know what I will only put out a statement because it's my reputation that's at hand and previously when people googled me it was all my accomplishments now racist however i'm not willing to apologize for something i'm not I'm not guilty of and yeah. I'm not and and I fail to apologize just because who you who are you wants an apology apology for what for me being me and me using my freedom of speech oh, come on you know and not abusing it I'm However, doing the same you, as you because you're actually bullying me right now do you know what I mean <laughs> so. and then it's this idea of cyberbullying, and mm-hmm. you know I'm fortunate enough to know how to deal with these situations however no one knows that I still get nightmares from the things people say I still I, I deleted Twitter. I, I refuse to go back on Twitter because of it. Mm-hmm. I still feel so embarrassed sometimes going out in public thinking, do people think that of me? You mm-hmm. know, I've done so much yet. You got, where were you guys where I was raising funds for my nonprofit? Yeah. Where were you? Where were you when I needed that hoorah? You know, yeah. now all of a sudden you want to give me 
how cancel overly you. Follow, they want to cancel you. Yeah, you still want to follow me. You still want to add. You want to increase my following. You know, <laughs> I mean, I had maybe not even a thousand, uh, you know, followers on Twitter because damn, I didn't even use Twitter. And now? You couldn't find anything from last year, the year before, the last five <laughs> years. So you went as far as 10, Ten. which oh. just shows you. However, I mean, at the end of it, I had maybe like 3,500 before I actually deleted Twitter. Yeah. And I was like, damn, you guys, because you know what? The sad thing is, is that the same people who will break you down will be the same people who will support you later. I you know, publicly them. though. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Publicly only because it's these <laughs> keyboard activist trolls. <laughs> trolls. I cannot stand because that's all they do. Yeah. They sit behind a keyboard and they just bully everybody. I mean, I, I and there's no end to their bullying because the same person that's making you trend today for all the wrong reasons are the very same yep. people that are making you trend tomorrow. In your praise yeah, and honor, good. because you are so amazing, because you've done South Africa so proud. I know. Yeah. I, mean, that's the thing. I mean, I've been, you know, I was trying to find light in the, you know, in that dark tunnel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I've never, I've never been depressed. I've never, I've always tried to think of myself as a very positive person yeah. that exudes a lot of positivity. And like, you know, people feel my energy. However, there was that period that was very dark for me. I think I cried every day for a month. Oh. You know, I couldn't get out of that funk. I mean, every time someone would bring it up, I would laugh first and then bawl for like 30 minutes. Yeah. You know, because. I feel no you. one should go through that no. hate especially when like I would used to think I was that like product student that used to just do good like very little did you do it you know and didn't even do wrong by my parents okay yeah. I did but you know they only know now that I did wrong you know and so to have that is just like is awful it's extremely awful and no one should go through that however you know the sad thing is is people take away from the things that you try and do. Mm-hmm. And I always say, you know, if the five people whose opinions you value most are the ones that are criticizing you, change. If they're not, do you, you know, you're doing what you're doing for a reason. Absolutely. And so I used to, I had people like commenting on, you know, my photos and stuff like that. And I like, just because you post black kids doesn't mean you're not racist. And I sat there and I was like, you know what? And I, I used to type out this huge thing mm-hmm. because I wanted to say something. And I was like, you know what? If you felt so strongly about these things, do something. Yeah. Go and be an activist. Come up with something. You know, start a nonprofit. Do how about something. that? <laughs> you know, like I don't even know how to yeah. say any, but do something about it. But you messaging me, DMing me, saying this, you're not going to change my life because at the end of the day, I go to bed and I know I've changed people's lives. There I know go. I go to bed and I've changed and inspired young yeah. individuals. Yeah. What have you done? Sent me a DM. I like laugh you said, at Like you. you said earlier, most of these people are just projecting it. It's insecurities. And Onida, at the end of the day, you still are that you know model figure yes, honestly yes, and you, you deserved <laughs> you deserved your place in Miss SA I don't know where that is right now and you did what you needed to do and I hope that if there was any lesson to to be learned from that you did and you are who you are today and look look at everything else that has happened so you've come full circle like Dominique said you're also that coach that inspired you and that's amazing mm. there's so much for you to be proud of and I hope you are and I hope that we have fulfilled that little bit that you mentioned early on about completing you as women yes. and um, I hope we can continue to do that in this space we truly appreciate you being here and thank you for thank sharing you. your thank your you. knowledge your stories yes. and everything you contribute to society we are 
honestly acknowledge you and appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you, for thank, you so much. thank you guys for doing what you do because there aren't a lot of women that really support women and there aren't a lot of women that are willing to share their stories and to mm-hmm. be, um, you know, accepting of other people's stories. And Absolutely. I think what you women are doing is incredible because it takes a lot of energy, you know, it takes yeah. a lot of energy because it's like you're, you're this broken record that just never, ever like you get heard sometimes. Yeah. And I think it's honestly one of the best feelings knowing that you feel safe in a space of women yeah. and women that really are completing each other. So thank you guys very much Absolutely. for doing In light of everything that is happening from BLM to gender-based violence, we can't take any days off. Like we should be pushing and keep having these conversations. And we we honestly hope to have you again on the show. I will definitely yeah. do Thank that. you, Anita. <laughs> Thank, Thank you, guys. Thank you to our listeners for all your support as always. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Leave a rating and review if you like what you hear. Okay? See you in the next episode. Bye. You've been listening to another production from Solid Gold Podcasts.